Good morning, Genesis. How are we doing on this rainy Sunday morning? We doing all right? Barely awake. Awesome. Great. Fantastic. Hey, we are, we're really glad that you're here. My name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors. Now, if you hadn't heard yet, Ikea officially opened in Fishers this week, right? I see some claps. For some of you, that's a very big deal. For others, you're thinking, what is the big deal, right? Well, I'm going to tell you, it was a big deal for these people. I, I follow the Indie Star on Twitter, and they were giving like moment-to-moment updates. People actually camped out. It hadn't rained here forever. It started raining on like Sunday when these people were camping out. There were parties. There were celebrations. This next one's one of my favorite. The lady's entering the store, and she's dancing, and they're clapping. Everybody's excited. It was a big deal for these people, right? They camped out just to be among the first people to get into the store. Now, before you pass judgment on them, I have to jump to their defense and say, this is the first store in the United States that has a section that is totally devoted to pets. And pets need furniture too. So now you can judge them. That's worth camping out for, right? If you've never, seriously, if you've never been to Ikea, you should check it out. It's an experience unto itself because you don't just show up at Ikea and go up and down the aisles and put things in your cart. No, 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 no. There's a path. And if you get off the path, you get lost. But if you get on the path, it's going to lead you through the entire store, one department at a time. And there's going to be numerous model homes that you get to walk in. And you're going to get to see what an entire house would look like decked out with Ikea furniture. And it really looks cool. Think of it like this. It's like a zoo for furniture where you get to see everything in its natural habitat. Ooh, ah, that looks nice. I want one of those, right? And apparently that model works really well because people camp out and they party and they dress up weird and have a blast. And I couldn't help but laugh as I thought back, you know, as this was opening, I thought, oh, I remember the first time that my wife and I went to Ikea and we bought a piece of furniture. We were so excited. We had heard good things. She got online and she found this piece of furniture that she was so excited to check out. So we drove two hours to Cincinnati. We made a day of it. And we got there and we got on the path and we took the tour and then we finally found our piece of furniture in its environment. Ooh. Ah, yeah, oh, it's, it looked good online. It looks even better. It's going to look amazing in our home. And so with great excitement, we rushed to the warehouse to pick this thing up, only to learn that assembly was required. Yeah, you laugh. You've been there before. You know, right? You know. And, and I thought, you know what? This is cool because I'll get to tell all people, yeah, I'll build my own furniture. This is cool. I can, I can, I can roll with this. My wife was excited. I thought, I'm not going to let that little hurdle slow me down. We load up the van, all three boxes that were eight foot long that weigh 200 pounds each. It doesn't matter if it's a rocking chair or a dresser. That's kind of what you get. But we load it up. We, we run home. And I think, my wife is so excited. I'm going to build this and she's going to be happy. And our life is just going to be great, right? So I start putting this thing together. Now, I don't know what happened. I don't know if I skipped a step. I don't know if they left a step out. But at some point, the diagram and my piece of furniture, they look different. And I start getting frustrated, and my wife walks in, and I'm sweaty and angry, and she turns around and leaves, and I'm thinking, don't lose your cool. I took it apart. I put it together three times. And eventually, I just get to the point where I throw my hands in the air, and I'm like, what is the catch? I mean, I know what it's supposed to look like. I don't think we're ever going to get there. Why, why is this so hard? I thought this was going to be easier. And if you've ever shopped at Ikea, you've probably had a similar experience. Great furniture, just a little difficult to put together, right? But I've heard, I've heard they're ch- going to change their warranty on any item that you buy. Anything that you buy that has to be put together comes with one free marriage counseling session, which I think, <laughs> I think is good for everybody. I will continue to buy furniture there if that is the case. 
Now, don't you hate living in that tension? There's a product. There's an environment. There's an event. There's a person, and it's going to change your life. If I could just have one of those, if I could just try, that life's going to be so much better. But eventually you learn, well, that's either too good to be true or it's going to take a lot of hard work. And, and you just, inevitably, you just find yourself sitting there thinking, what, what is the catch? Did I miss something? Was there some small print? What have I gotten myself into? And this tension plays out in our life all the time. Think about it. If you've been married longer than a week, I bet you've experienced this tension, right? At some point, you're looking at the other person saying, why is this so hard? Why can't you just do everything my way? My way's not just better, it's best. What's the catch? Or you have a baby and you bring this sweet little bundle of joy home, you think, I'm gonna shape their heart to transform the world. But eventually what happens? You lose your mind because they get a mind of their own and you're thinking, what's the catch? Can't you just trust me? I know best, just do what I'm asking you to do. If you're new to the dating scene, what's the catch? Where are the people that are like me? If you're a student, why is this so hard to seize a passing grade, mom and dad? What's the catch? Or if you've tried to drive down range line recently, what's the catch? When is that going to be done? I mean, I'm new to town and I know that that's a hassle. You've probably experienced this tension in a variety of different ways. But I want to ask you an honest question. Have you ever felt that when it comes to following Jesus or just being part of the church in general? And I'm going to admit to you as a pastor on a Sunday morning that I have and I do often. There was a time when following him was easy. He seemed really close, doing his things, doing things his way made sense. It was exciting, it was fun. I was excited to get with people on a Sunday morning and I bet you can relate, right? You remember that, but at some point in time, the newness wore off and reality set in and before you knew it, you're just saying, Jesus, what's the catch? What did I get myself into? I thought following you was gonna be easy. I thought it was gonna be better. Do I have to do things your way all the time because your way is hard and I'm not even sure it works all that well. Jesus, what's the catch? Now, it's tempting for me to think that I'm the only person in this whole room that has ever felt that way, but I know I'm not. In fact, we're gonna look at a story from the life of the first men that followed Jesus and we're gonna find them in this very same tension, asking the very same question, Jesus, what's the catch? So if you're new or visiting, Kevin mentioned this, we're in a series entitled In the Flesh, and we've been going through the life of Jesus to see how he did what he did when he walked on this earth as a man in the flesh. We've been going through his life chronologically, tracking through some very familiar stories because we believe that Jesus is our model for life and ministry. And along the way, we've tried to view these stories from the perspective of his disciples. They had a front row seat to learn how to do what he did and today we're going to pick up that story in Matthew chapter 4. But before we jump into that story, here's something that you need to know. This is a pivotal moment for these men. He's invited them to come and see. He said, follow me. But today he's going to invite them to take a next step. He's going to invite them to do something new and something different. And it's exciting. But when we read this story in Matthew, I don't know about you. I'm just going to admit, when I read this story the first time a few years ago, I remember thinking, this doesn't even make sense. I mean, if I'm supposed to do what you do, Jesus, I don't know how to do this. Here's how the story goes. Matthew chapter four, verses 18 through 20 says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. 
So here's Jesus. He just comes strolling along the shore. Hey, boys, how you doing? Follow me. Don't do that. I've got something else. And they just leave their nets at once and they follow. And so then the three of them continue up the shore. Look what happens in verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left, their, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Two guys leave their nets. Two guys leave their dad in a boat. Now, I don't know about you. That seems extreme. In fact, if you had just sat down to read the gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, here's what happens in chapter 4. Jesus is baptized. He goes into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. He goes to Nazareth, his hometown, to preach. And then that story happens. And it just seems really weird because if Jesus is our model for ministry, we should be able to leave here today to walk into a Starbucks, to look at our barista and say, why don't you follow me? I'm going to teach you how to make disciples instead of coffee. And they're going to take off their apron and you're going to hop in your car and you're going to be off and going, right? So let, I'm going to pray and we're going to go do that. Ready? Let's pray. We, it, that makes us feel awkward, right? I mean, like, how does, if I'm supposed to do what Jesus did, how does that even work? Well, as we've been studying for the last several weeks, we know that this isn't the first time that those men had met Jesus. In fact, they had known him for a while. They had heard John the Baptist say that is the Son of God right there, the Savior of the world. They traveled with him to a wedding in Canaan where he changed water to wine. They traveled with him to Jerusalem for the Passover. They saw Jesus throw a fit, turn over tables, drive people out of the temple because of his passion for God. They traveled with him to enemy territory. They witnessed an entire village of Samaritans, people they didn't like, claim that Jesus was the Messiah before any Jew ever had they had watched him heal sick people, and they were with him when he preached in his hometown and almost got stoned to death. And so here's my point. When Jesus shows up on that day, and he says, follow me, I want to teach you how to fish for people, they had known him for 18 months. Now, his whole ministry was only three to three and a half years long. If God came to you and said, I'm going to use you to save the world, you have three years, would you spend 18 months going after some fishermen to teach them how to, I wouldn't, I'd go after the best and the brightest, right? Jesus says, I'm gonna spend this time with you men to get to know you. So they had witnessed him do amazing things. They had heard him preach, but here's the beautiful part about it. They knew him. They knew what he was about. So when he says, follow me, I'm gonna show you how to do what I do. Well, your nets and your boats and your dad, they, they, don't, they don't hold a candle to that. Here's what else we know about these men. This is a big deal, okay? We know from elsewhere in the Gospels, these men lived in Capernaum. And if you look at a map, Capernaum is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, way up top there. It was one of the largest cities in that region, and fishing was the main industry in the surrounding 30 villages. So these guys were fishermen in Capernaum. They were probably had a pretty lucrative fishing business. They were hard-working blue-collar workers. They were disciplined. This is how they fed their family, and they dropped all of that on that day to go pursue Jesus. And Jesus knew right where he could find these guys. And so now he shows up to challenge them to do something new. But here's the thing. He didn't do what a normal rabbi would do, because a norm normally in Judaism, you would go to a rabbi and say, I want to sit under your teaching. And then you would just observe 
and memorize what they tell you. Well, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus shows up and says, hey, you, why don't you come and follow me? I want you to be a part of my ministry. I want to show you how to do what I do. And so, yes, these disciplined fishermen thought, I think that's better than what we do. I'm down for that, Jesus. And, and to follow him would mean to accept his authority, to pursue his calling, to follow after his example. It literally meant, I'm going to go where you go and do what you do. Now I want you to imagine you're one of those men. You've been putting in an honest day's work your whole life to feed your family. But this guy that you believe to be the Messiah shows up and starts investing in you. And he says, I want to show you how to do something different. I think that'd be worth it. And I have to imagine that at that moment, those guys, they were excited. Maybe a little anxious, but excited. I mean, they left all of their gear and relationships behind. And, and I don't know about you, but I can remember a, series, a season of my life that was like that when I followed Jesus. I grew up in the church, and I believe that there, I was taught there's one God in heaven. Jesus is his only son. He died to pay for my sins. I've always known that. I've always kind of appeared that's been true. But when I was 20 years old, I started to hear the Bible preached and taught, and I believed, no, Jesus is exactly who he says he is, and I put my faith in him. I was baptized. I began to follow him, and it was exciting. I knew that his way was better than mine because my way wasn't working out at all. In fact, I was so excited. I was working in the business world at a Fortune 500 company. I started sharing my faith. I didn't know it wasn't popular to do that. I just, he had changed my life. I could not help but share him with other people around me. And honestly, I didn't even care what they thought. And, and I bet if you've been following Jesus for a while, I bet you remember that season of your life. I have never seen anyone begrudgingly begin to follow Jesus. There's a season of excitement. Sure, Jesus, I'm down with whatever. You have saved me from my sins. I'm all in. But at some point, if you were like me, you don't know when, where, you don't know how, but something changed. And I know for me, I knew that my identity was in Jesus. I am who he says that I am. But I also was working a corporate job and I saw a path and I thought, you know, Jesus, I kind of want to make a name for myself. What's the catch? Can't I just have a little piece for me? Or maybe, maybe for you it was your business practices. You agreed to do business the way Jesus said to do business. You were going to live by his principles. But eventually you started asking the question, well, Jesus, what's the catch? I mean, you were a great man when you were on earth, but I'm not sure you're a very good businessman because your practices, they're not bringing in the money very fast. And my coworkers are making fun of me. My boss, he's all over me. What's the catch, Jesus? And so you just kind of went back to cutting corners and cutting throats, anything that you needed to do to keep up or to get ahead. Or maybe you ran to Jesus because your marriage was blowing up and you knew that you didn't want to let that go. And so you said, Jesus, we're going to do things your way. We're going to work on it. We're going we're to love each other the way that you tell us to. But eventually, working on it started to feel like work. And there you were. Jesus, what's the catch? They're not changing fast enough. I'm the only one doing the work here. What is the catch? I thought things were going to be different. Did I miss something? Are you mad at me? Did I miss the small print? And I'm going to admit, as a follower of Jesus, that's a tough place to be in, isn't it? Especially when you read Matthew 4 and those guys drop everything. When I read that story, I feel like a failure. I think, I mean, if that's the standard, I have picked up that old stuff a ton. I, I don't even, is there any hope for me? Well, here's what's interesting. 
those same fishermen that so willingly left their nets and their boats and their dad in Matthew 4, Luke records a time when they had this same struggle that I just explained to you. That's true in my life. I'm going to assume that to some degree it's true in yours. And so if you want to follow along with this, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. In the Bibles around the room, it's on page 718. But in this story, they're, they're, they're juggling that tension. They're saying, Jesus, what's the catch? What am I supposed to do now? And we don't know when this story in Luke took place, but here's what we know. It took place later. In Matthew, he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Could be days, weeks, maybe a month, but at some point later, this happens. Look at this. Verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that is just the Sea of Galilee with a different name, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little bit from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, first thing, this guy Simon in this passage is Peter. Same guy, same place. He dropped his nets before, but apparently he really liked to fish, and he still had his boat. And so Jesus shows back up on the scene. He knew he would find him there. And these people are crowding in, and so Jesus needs a place to stand. So he says, hey, Peter, can I borrow your boat? And they shove off from the shore just a little bit to get some space from the people. Now, I want you to imagine that you're Peter, and you know that at some point previously, he's called you to leave fishing, and there you are. Not only that, he's preaching in your boat, and you're sitting next to him. Do I have a volunteer that just wants to come and sit next to me for the rest of my time up here on stage? That'd be awkward, wouldn't it? Everybody's looking at Jesus, and you're just kind of sitting there. That's Peter's life right now. But not only that, the story gets better. Look at this. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Not only is Jesus preaching in your boat, then he says, Peter, you love to fish. We're in a boat on the water. Let's go, man. You can teach me how to do what you do. And we know they've been out all night. So if I'm Peter, I'm tired. I'm probably frustrated. I don't fish, but I, for those of you that are fishermen, do you ever go out there not to catch anything? No, you, you want to catch something. You want something to show for while you're out there. So he's tired, he's embarrassed, he's frustrated. And he's probably thinking, Jesus, bless your heart. I mean, you're a great teacher. That was a good sermon. I heard that one in Nazareth. Went over well there too. But Jesus, you don't, fit, you don't know what you're talking about. But I wonder if Peter didn't smirk just a little bit and think, okay, you know what? I'd love to teach you something. You've taught me lots of things. Let's go. And so they shove off from shore. But look what happens. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So that they, and they came and filled the boats. They had so many fish that their boats began to sink. Now I have a business degree from IU. And I just want you to imagine whether you're a business person or not, you're a fisherman, and you're catching so many fish that your nets are breaking and your boats are sinking, what would you do? My business degree says you buy a fleet of boats, you buy bigger and stronger nets, and this is retirement. In fact, maybe you say, I tell you what, Jesus, I got an idea. Why don't you always preach and then we'll go fishing? Because that seems to work really well. In fact, I got one more for you, Jesus. Let's start a food truck. If people brought us water for a small fee, you could change it to wine. We could sell them fish. We're set. I'll go anywhere with you, right? 
I mean, that's how we want to manipulate the system with Jesus. Sure, 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 yeah, absolutely, Jesus. And I picture these guys chest bumping, high five, and celebrating. This is awesome. This is great. The crowd's watching that heard the sermon. But look at Peter's response. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were, get this, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. All the same men, fishing at the same place, doing the thing that they loved. And in the middle of that, Peter's only response is to freak out. In fact, if you pay attention earlier in the story, he refers to Jesus as master, kind of like sir. But later he says, Lord, your majesty. Something changed in his life really quick. Your majesty, Lord, I've messed this up. I don't blame you. I'm, I don't even forgive me. Just let me be. I'm good at this. Just leave me be, Jesus. I mean, he is freaking out. And there he is in the midst of the most amazing catch he's ever had, and he's in a boat that's sinking fast, and Jesus is right there in the middle of it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself there? You're following Jesus. You're doing what he wants because you know it's best. But you also know, yeah, I've done some things that I swore I'd never, I've gone back to the places that I swore I'd never go. Jesus, you can forgive anyone. I don't forgive me. I don't expect you to forgive me. Just walk away. And I wonder if Peter didn't think back to that first time that Jesus called him to fish for men. And he remembered when he so eagerly dropped the nets. But at some point in time, there must have been something that happened in Peter's life. Things weren't painting out with Jesus the way he thought. And so he said, what's the catch? I don't know, Jesus. You're just not bringing in the paycheck as fast as I'd hoped. I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do the thing with you on the side. Look, Jesus, this is what I'm really good at. I can control this. I've already blown it with you. If it's you or this, I don't blame you. I'm out. And I bet you can relate. I can. I've been following Jesus for 16 or 17 years and I feel like this, I just keep coming back to this over and over and over again. And I feel like every once in a while, he just puts his hand on my shoulder and says, Jerry, you, you say you want to follow me, but you can't fish for what you want to fish for. We talked about this. Come on. Come on. Well, look at how Jesus responds to Peter. Jesus replied to Simon, you idiot. <laughs> you laugh because that's what you would say. You laugh because that's what you would expect him to say, right? I would expect him to say that. Don't be afraid. He could have looked at him and said, hey, Peter, my dad's only given me three years to save the world. I've spent half of that with you. You're blowing it. You're on the B team. You're on the bench. I might check back later. Maybe you get to go to heaven, but not now. Just go sit down. I'm done. That's how, that's how we would respond, right? He says, don't be afraid. I'm not here to make you feel bad, and I am certainly not giving up on you. I knew I'd find you here, but Peter, here's the thing. I need you to know that when it, when it comes to following me, there's a catch. Look at what he says. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And so there they were. They're in the middle of a lake with two boats that are sinking. There's a crowd watching. Everybody's wondering, 
What is going on? And Jesus makes it perfectly clear to these professional fishermen that when it comes to following him, there's definitely a catch. And when we decide to follow him, we don't get to fish for what we want to fish for anymore. We fish for people. And that's the catch. And up to this point, Peter had known that Jesus was calling him to something better, something different. And now he understood what it was. And look at how he and his buddies respond. As soon as they landed, they left. What's the word? Everything. And they followed Jesus. Everything, the boats, the nets, the fish. They learned that following Jesus came with a catch. They couldn't fish for men while they were still trying to fish for fish. And here's the thing, guys. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is true for me, and it is true for you. It's true for everyone that's ever followed him. It's true for anybody that will ever follow him. There's a catch, and here it is. He's not calling us to a new life that we can enjoy for ourselves. He's calling us to a new life that's focused on reaching others for him. We fish for people. He doesn't just save us so we get to go to heaven. He doesn't just save us so we get to live however we want. He saves us from ourselves so that we can go out there and fish for people that don't know him. And I'm gonna be honest with you, this is my favorite story in the gospels because it is my life. And I'm gonna guess that it's some of you, you can relate. He's had to remind me of this over and over and over again. But maybe you're here and you're thinking, okay, I've heard this story before. I get it. They're fishermen. They're fishing for men. But what does that mean? And and what does it even look like? I think that's a really good question. It'd be really easy for us to say, oh, go fish for men. Let's pray. We're done. How did Jesus fish for his disciples? He spent time with them. He got to know them. He showed them a better way to live. And along the way, he invited them, hey, come and see. Hey, follow me. Let me show you how to do what I'm doing, and I think we complicate it. I think we, we somehow dream up that we gotta have every theological answer to every question that might ever be answered before we ever do anything about it. Or we've gotta have this powerful testimony that we can share at the drop of a hat. Maybe even add some details in there just so it sounds really good, right? Or we need to be able to verbalize the gospel in such a way that no one could resist. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, I'm gonna, in Matthew, he says, follow me and I'm gonna teach you to fish for men. And it's important that we know why we believe what we believe. And it's important that we can share the story of how he's changed our lives. But the most important factor in fishing for men is learning to live it out every day in simple ways that make other people curious about how and why we do what we do and even interested in learning how to do that. That's how you fish for people. It is not, it's not complicated. And those first men that followed Jesus, they had to learn a valuable lesson between Matthew 4 and Luke 5. I can't hold on to my nets. I can't hold on to my boats. I can't even hold on to my dad. I got to let some things go. And so maybe if you're here today and you're thinking, okay, I'm in, I want to do this. I want you to write this question down. What are your nets and what are your boats? What are your nets? What are your boats? What are you fishing with and what are you fishing for that distracts you from fishing for men? What are you holding on to that's keeping you from this mission that Jesus has called us to? Is it a hobby? Guys, is it your fantasy football team? 
Is it a relationship? Is it an addiction? Is it a career? Is it your retirement? Is it the name that you're making for yourself? Maybe it's an excuse. I did a little research and I found out that there's this website called The Mother of All Excuses. And on this website, it lists hundreds of excuses for a variety of problems. There are approximately, check this out for later, you might want to use this sometime, 400 excuses for missing work, 500 excuses for cutting school, several hundred excuses for breaking dates, excuses for not going through with the wedding, for going off the diet, excuses that you could offer if you're pulled over. There's all kinds of excuses on this website. And I think that when it comes to this part of following Jesus, this is what we do. Oh, absolutely, I'm in. Count me in, Jesus. But at some point along the way, we think, well, I don't know. I mean, that's for really spiritual people. We'll just let the pastors do that. Or, well, I don't know. I know we're supposed to fish for people, but I need to learn a whole lot first. I just want to be really, really, really smart. And I get it. I I do the same thing. But Jesus makes it clear. There is a catch when it comes to following him, and it's fishing for other people. And Jesus, and just like with Peter and his buddies, Jesus said, don't be afraid. I'm going to show you how to do it. And if we, fall, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, he's calling us to fish for others. That's just how it's designed to work. And we got to get rid of any and all distractions along the way. So please hear me this when I say this. When I ask you, what are your nets? What are your boats? I'm not asking you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I have nets and boats that I need to burn myself. But I'm asking you this question because chances are, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to think about this. Someone somewhere fished for you. Someone took time and effort and energy and they were patient with you when you did not deserve to be patient with. And think of all the people in your life that you could be fishing for. Honestly, this is why here at Genesis, you hear us talk so much about disciple making. It's what we're called to do. The last thing that Jesus said to his followers before he ascended to heaven, he said, you go into all the world and you make disciples. Here's a really simple translation. You go fish for people everywhere all the time. And for 2,000 years, that is what the church has done. And that is how the church will continue to function until he returns. In fact, we are committed as a staff to helping everyone at Genesis learn how to fish for men. And so I want you to mark your calendars for Saturday, December the 2nd, because we're gonna host a disciple-making workshop. And we're gonna go back through some tools that we've discovered along the way. These are tools that you can use. This is not knowledge that you can gain. Here's a tool, go use it. But we wanna invite our people to come together and say, hey, we're serious about this. Let's not take our eyes off of this. A few years ago, my wife and I went on our first mission trip to the Dominican Republic. It was a medical mission trip. And everybody on this team had medical skills, except for me. So we set up a tent and a coffee-making village in the Dominican, and everybody, my wife included, they were pulling teeth, giving shots, and I just felt out of place. I didn't know what to do. I, I couldn't even get into the tent. I mean, it was almost like they were saying, bless your heart, you just stay out there. And I remember praying. I'm like, God, I don't know why I'm here. Like, they're, they're making a big impact I don't get it. I'm, I, want, I said, I want to go home. And he did not speak audibly, but he spoke and said, Jerry, you couldn't find your way to the airport if you had to. And he was right. But then, I, I don't know if he said it. I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, I opened my eyes and there were 50 kids. And I realized, oh, oh, people. Oh, okay. And I started having so much fun with those kids that the people in the tent 
wanted to come and hang out with me and the kids. We sang songs and swam, but here's the, here's the biggest thing I learned. They were right in front of me, and I spent three days brushing them off. Shame on me. They were right there. I mean, there are always people in front of us to fish for. When my wife and I moved to this area, we felt God saying, hey, I want you to host a group in your home. We've done that before. But he made it really clear this time. He said, I want you to host some 20-year-olds. Guys, I turned 40 in January. I don't need to be in a group of people that remind me how not. We start talking and we start praying. We don't know who's going to show up. But for the last several Thursday nights, I mean, we have come to love these people. They are sharp. They are smart. And we're just saying, this is how you fish for people. This week, one of them led the conversation. He did a great job. That's what it looks like for us. If, you, if you're a parent, you can fish in your living room. You've got little kids that you need to be raising up in the Lord. You can fish in the cul-de-sac for your neighbors and their kids, the backyard, the boardroom, the warehouse, the office. If your kids are on a sports team or if you coach, guys, they're right there in front of you. There's a whole bunch of them back in that hallway. We are called to fish for people. Here's what's really cool. This week, if you're in a connection group, what you're going to see in Mark chapters one and two, after Jesus calls these guys to this, he takes them on six fishing trips and they go to a church setting, a home setting, a marketplace, and even a party where there were a bunch of sinners. He fished for religious people. He fished for broken people. He fished for single people. He fished for married people. He fished for people and he showed those men how to do it. And if you're new and you're here and you're just investigating, you're thinking, I don't get it. I'm just trying to follow. I'm just trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. Let me say this. We're really glad that you're here. You have a place here and our invitation to you is the same invitation that Jesus says. Come and see, but I would, I would invite you to follow him. I'm not saying that you have to believe everything right now, but just start following him because here's what we believe. We believe that following Jesus makes life better and will make you better at life. Just start following him. Try it. And if I'm wrong, come and let me know. But every time I follow him and do what he tells me to do, I never regret it. But for the rest of us, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to imagine, what if everywhere you went, you started fishing for people in simple ways? It could be a conversation. It could be serving somebody. It could be loving them. But you're now you're not just doing it to do it. You are fishing for them. You, are, you want to introduce them to eternal life that comes through Jesus. Somebody did it for you. What are we waiting for? And let's be honest, it's going to be scary, right? People might reject you. You might lose a relationship. Jesus says, do not be afraid. I'll be with you always until the very end of the age. In fact, he says, you're blessed when people don't think good things because of you because of me. He is on our side. We can't miss out on this. Jesus is not calling us to a new life that we can enjoy for ourselves. He is calling us to a new life that's focused on reaching others for him. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you that from the very beginning you knew, you knew when you created us, you knew we would rebel against you. And you showed up on the scene and said, I'm gonna send someone one day. There will be a shoot from the stump of Jesse and he will make all things right. And Jesus, I am so thankful that you lived here in the flesh as a man. You experienced everything that we experienced. There is nothing that we, we can't look at you and say, well, Jesus, you don't get this. You get it. 
You labored in prayer. You hurt. You wept. You cried. You have come down to our level. And you've not just said, hey, I want to take you to heaven. You've said, I want to teach you how to do what I'm doing. I want you to experience the thrill and the excitement of fishing for the people that I've created. Would you open our eyes? Would you help us to burn our nets, to drop our butts, to just let it go of all of it? And when we go to work, whether we're a teacher, a fireman, a pastor, a student, we are fishing for people. And would you help us to fish for people in such a way that we run out of seats in our auditoriums and we don't have enough groups meeting in homes We're fishing for people and they're coming and they're hungry and we're just modeling, this is how Jesus did it. This is how Jesus did it. This is how Jesus loved. This is what Jesus taught. Let's go do that. Help us to be people that put into practice what you've taught us, not just sit on it and get smarter. We love you. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for calling us and we thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. It's in your powerful name we pray, Jesus.